it recalibrates me to realize that we should always be we should be grateful for what we have. We should take the opportunities that we have and build something great. And it's hard to have that level of perspective without seeing something different, uh, without see- coming from a different area. It's easier, I mean, it's easy for us to talk about it, but until you've actually experienced it, it's a different level. We, at, er- at the end of every single month, we were trying to figure out how we can collect our money just to pay for rent. That pain element and going through that and Having that fear of knowing that we're going to get kicked out of our home, knowing that my sister's not going to have a place to live, uh, that is really what shifted. It just flipped a switch in my head and made me realize I have to do whatever it takes to survive. And that was really one of the hardest times of my life. And going through that is really what built my grit, what built my thick skin, uh, my ability to be denied when when I was door knocking and that sort of thing. All of these weird things that I that most people are concerned about, I didn't really care because I needed to put food on the table. I needed to collect money to pay for the bills. And that experience alone is really what built me. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millions Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 313. Stace, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Hello, hello. We had a fun weekend. We got to go to the BYU-Arkansas game this weekend. Go Cougars, our old alma mater. And we actually had not been to a game together since uh, we've been married a BYU game so that was fun and we thought it might be fun to talk a little bit today about wait 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 hold on here real quick I gotta throw it out there because I had never been to a, a BYU game in the SEC we don't play very many games against SEC schools but the Arkansas fans and that stadium and the whole environment was top notch so what is it Woo pig suey Woo pig, <laughs> Good time. Thank you for the hospitality. It was unbelievable. Oh, they were so kind. They were really nice. And at the end of the game, which we honestly thought there was zero chance we would win at all. But at the end of the game, this little boy, must have been maybe nine years old, came up to Jace because he was wearing a BYU shirt and said, good game, and, and gave him a handshake. And I just love that. Everyone was so nice. We, we really, really enjoyed our time there. But the talk of college football is really Deion Sanders. Making waves with his shades. Making waves with his shades. And the financial lesson of all this is pretty wild, right? Like he takes this contract when Colorado didn't even have the money to pay him, completely flips the program upside down, and in the week of a little banter with an opposing coach, literally sells through Blended, who he's done a, a collaboration with, $1.2 million worth of sunglasses on Friday. <laughs> who knows where that's going to go. But interesting to, to kind of watch from afar. And, you know, to the Colorado Buffalo fans and your program, I'm sure you couldn't be more joyed to have them there. So before we get into the details uh, of today's episode, wanted to read a couple reviews. Uh, y'all have been loving the recent uh, episodes. In fact, 
been getting a lot of reviews on Spotify and on on uh, iTunes. Uh, this one comes from Spotify, and this was actually uh, for related to last week or I guess two weeks ago uh, episode. This is from Hip Hop Guy Two. So this episode was worth listening to, especially a gem dropper for M- individuals like myself. Keep up the good work, guys. So appreciate that. Another one, and I knew y'all were gonna love Chad. He is amazing. Uh, this comes from Amy Mize. Says, love this episode. Would love to hear more millionaires like Chad. Great insights and wisdom. Such a relatable, down-to-earth guest. And then another one said, what a cool story. Or I would second that. So uh, love them more business owners. As we were driving back today, I also thought about, uh, you know, we haven't had a truck driver on. We haven't had uh, very many people, if any, I think, uh, in the oil and gas industry. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a handful of professions we were going through. But yeah, if you haven't heard your story, reach out, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. I'd love to get you on the show, share your story, and take a deep dive into your investment strategies. Appreciate those that have left reviews. I'm marching a little bit closer to 1,000 by the end of the year here, hopefully. And we appreciate even more so our interviewees. Thank you. That's again. right. This wouldn't happen without them. So today on the show, we have Franco. Franco is an immigrant, came from the Philippines when he was a child, in fact, just around when he was 11 years old. So great stories, net worth at $4 million, primarily in real estate, about 20% is in single-family homes, then 80% is in uh, mobile homes, which we get into the details of that and his desire to make an impact uh, in his community and the world. So going to be a great episode with him. Obviously, last week we had Chad, a uh, small, small business owner that he uh, eventually sold phenomenal episode with him we did a secondary follow-up uh episode as part of our our two-part series two-part series or second part series for him specifically that we released on thursday last week where we talk all things private equity and sell into private equity so uh yeah without any further delay let's get the episode with franco franco do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now yeah so i mean basically my current business, we help convert a lot of old mobile homes to new ones. Uh, coming from where I grew up, I grew up from a pretty poor family with a single mom and, and younger sister. So I've always been passionate about trying to build affordable housing for those uh, that really go through struggle, that are in the middle class, that kind of feel like home ownership is kind of an impossible feat. Uh, Considering I came from there, I wanted to build something that would help build wealth for those entry-level people that are currently renting and feel like ownership is very difficult. So currently, we build, uh, we help a lot of people get out of renting and into their, their first piece of ownership through mobile homes. So did that for a while, and then now we're also converting a lot of old mobile homes to convert like turning 700 square foot homes into 1500 square foot three bedroom two bath luxury style living homes so that's essentially what our business does currently nice and i want to i want to get in a little more of the the details of this and how it all came about but uh before we do what's your net worth today it's over four mil is what we're looking at right now nice and and is the majority of that in real estate or what's the break up there i'd say 80% of that is in the business assets, and then 20% of it is rental property portfolio over in North Carolina. Cool. And are those single-family homes? Yep. 
the North Carolina single family homes. And then the stuff that we do as far as the business assets is really the mobile home stuff. Good deal. And have you always been invested in real estate or have you ever invested in the stock market? I dabble here and there, but I like to stick to what I know and what I feel like I can make an impact with. Okay. And then in terms of like cash, I mean, a lot of, a lot of our listeners are always kind of thinking about this as we've seen rates increase and, and real estate and market volatility. How do you think about cash, cash on hand, how much cash to keep? Do you have a reserve amount? How do you think about that? I think everyone's personal finances are always kind of unique. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that will give you general advice for, but I, I feel like everyone's advice is going to be different to your current circumstance. For me, I try to keep as much cash and uh, putting it into hard assets like real estate. That's something that I'm really bullish on lately. However, I think with the current market, if you're listening in 2020, mid 2023, there's going to be some opportunities to purchase good real estate too. So um, I think in the last year, I've been putting all the cash into real estate stuff, but now seeing where the market's going, I'm trying to have more cash available uh, by the end of this year. Good deal. So I want to I back up a little bit. You mentioned you were raised by a single, single mom, grew up pretty poor. Did you go to college at all? Didn't go to college. I basically, my parents split when I was about 17 years old. Had to drop out of uh, first year of college and go straight into full-time work. Uh, got into the real estate side of things. Became a decent real estate agent, making a decent amount of money. And learned to kind of hate the real estate industry. Basically because I felt like I was just helping a lot of very wealthy people get super wealthy. And I wanted to find something that would help people that were in my shoes before. Help them get some proper advice. Help them get a step ahead and out of out of poverty. Uh, so worked for the government for a little bit or tried that, didn't like it, and then came across mobile homes and found that as a perfect underrated, uh, misunderstood asset class that people don't understand. So ended up loving mobile homes and finding out ways to help people get their first piece of home ownership through mobile homes. Interesting. So Working as a realtor, was that basically the job that you took on at 18 or 19 after after the year of dropping out? Correct. Yeah. Wow. And then what did you do working for the government? Um, I tried getting into affordable housing. So my real estate side of things, I was door knocking and cold calling for long periods of times just because I was just so, I was in survival mode. So I was hustling and grinding as much as I could. But once I got to a point to where I was a little more stable, I wanted to really try to find something with the government with affordable housing. I applied certain places, did a little bit of intern work, and I really didn't get fully into it just because I, I realized there's not much you can do, um, or I didn't feel like there was a lot that I could do on the government side of things. And then stumbled upon finding out about mobile home parks in these metro areas like San Jose, LA, San Diego, uh, and realizing that they're so under underutilized, so was able to help a first my first few families that were trying to get out of renting and getting them to be able to own one of these. And since then, I've been helping more and more people get into that. Wow! So when you went to go work for the government, was it was there an intent to learn 
kind of affordable housing on the other side of the fence? Or were you really just looking for a job with stable income at that point? I'd say it was more just to try to find out how I can make an impact in affordable housing and learn affordable housing. And and then I realized like most of what actually gets passed, even though there's a lot of logical solutions, there's unfortunately a lot of push and pull from different entities and a lot of the systems that they put in place are like lottery systems. And I just didn't like that. I feel like there's a huge amount of people that are middle class that, that where the target of home ownership is becoming far attainable. And these these people should deserve just as much help as anyone else. And they should deserve just as much opportunity as the wealthy to be able to get into home ownership. I didn't find really opportunity to work with the government there. I just didn't like it that much. It wasn't me. Uh, and then, yeah, found mobile homes to be a perfect financial vehicle for a lot of these working class families. Yeah. So as you, as you transitioned from government to mobile homes and, and this new niche and in industry, what was your mindset as, as it related to your personal growth and personal portfolio that you wanted to do in terms of your impact and starting the business? And I mean, Walk us through kind of those early days of getting your business off the ground. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, I was able to kind of save up some money before I kind of started my venture, but it really wasn't enough to start. Doing my first concept home of converting an old one to a new one took a lot of work. Uh, I pitched to so many different investors. Nobody believed in what I was trying to do. Everyone has these false stigmas about what mobile homes look like, how it's such how it's only for the poorest of poor and bad quality and criminal areas where nobody wanted to invest with me. So my first few deals, a few projects that I was building, I actually just found someone that was willing to do it where where I was doing it for free and I gave them all the profit uh, and that sort of thing just so that I can prove that my concept made sense. And then from there, we converted an old unit to something beautiful in a very nice home and it had multiple offers at that time and and once we've proven our concept was real and that there was a huge demand for it then and only then were we able to get other investors involved and start our business and and really showcase how beautiful these homes are actually I'm in Washington DC now and now we have a manufactured home that's right on right in front of the US Capitol on the National Mall and that's where I'll be tomorrow. And basically now all we're trying to do is showcase how beautiful these homes can actually be, showcase what the quality of these homes can actually look like, and showcase the value of how this is helping keep affordable housing, especially for those that need it. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty crazy. And I don't I don't think I've ever shared this on a podcast, but I think back to to some of the early days of my childhood and, and my mom actually grew up and spent most or a good chunk of her childhood actually in a mobile home back in the day and whatnot. And so I mean it's very admirable what you're what you're doing. And there's obviously a, a massive need. Why is essentially mobile homes so affordable relative to to you know other homes or other construction methodologies? I'd well one thing that I love about these communities in itself is that they're considered low income housing. So these cities and ordinances have 
their quota of providing a certain level of affordable housing. So what's cool about these, let's say, mobile home parks is that in order for someone to purchase and own one of these units, they have to have it as their primary residence. And what that does is it allows for these prices of these homes to stay at a certain price. You're not competing with investors that need another rental property. Everyone that's buying and living in these communities actually own this home and need it as their primary residence. That's one big thing. The other is the construction element. Because just like if we think about our laptops or phones or cars, it was only for the rich and wealthy and very expensive on, and only until they built it on an assembly line at a fast rate. So building it on, a, on an assembly line allows for us to build these so much faster and quicker at a cheaper and more affordable cost. Uh, and the other element, the third element to that is the real estate element, because you don't essentially fully own the land. You don't pay the property taxes on it, but you're leasing the land itself. Um, it allows for the cost to to stay at a more attainable um, at a more attainable cost. So if we imagine in my area, uh, rent for a two bedroom apartment in San Jose is typically about thirty five hundred dollars. Purchasing a single family home now, median price is one point six million dollars. Now, how does someone that's renting dream of ever owning their first piece of home ownership when they have to come up with a two, three hundred thousand dollar down payment just to purchase a single family home? Now, what we're finding is that mobile homes is that perfect stepping stone in between that allows for them to instead of a huge, huge down payment, they just have to put $30,000 down and then they can pay a mortgage that's approximately about $2,600 and then a space rent of about $1,000, which just puts them a little more than what they're currently paying. And essentially at the end of five years, they'll have $90,000 more than if they were to continue renting. And with that money, then they're able to start their wealth building journey and they can sell their mobile home and then purchase into a townhome or into a single family home later down the line. But without a stepping stone in between, unfortunately, real estate is becoming a moving target. The cost of living is going faster than the rates of their their current salaries and income. And it becomes very, very difficult for people to be able to attain real estate and start their wealth, wealth building journey. Yeah, for sure. So one thing I want to I want to go back to that that uh, we haven't mentioned yet is you're actually an immigrant, correct? From the Philippines? Yeah, yeah. So I moved here from the Philippines uh, at a young age, and and uh, yeah, been here since. Now, do you remember life in the in the Philippines at all? Oh, I, I definitely do. It was some of my happiest moments. It was interesting. A lot of people are super resourceful. People are super happy there, even if they didn't. Uh, have anything they they were so grateful for everything they had over there what was that like when you first arrived here and and maybe you know since you were a little bit older when you when you immigrated and still have some of those memories i mean talk about the contrast that that you go through because we've had a few immigrants on the podcast but nobody that's immigrated to my knowledge as recently as you have yeah so i guess with that um there's a lot to talk about that on that. And I think what's interesting is there's a lot of people that grow up here in America that I feel like don't fully 
understand the value of it until they came from somewhere where there wasn't a huge level of opportunity. I, I find with a lot of my other friends that have built businesses, they've either came from somewhere of struggle, a country from struggle, or a family of struggle. And a lot of my friends that are business owners that are immigrants, they realize that in Vietnam or in the Philippines, there's not a lot of economic opportunity. And when you come to a country like this, and when you have parents that are like, I brought you to this country, this is what we thrive for. And you're not going to fail on all the work that our parents have brought you to and our grandparents have brought for you. And when you have that level of pressure, and then you have the opportunities that we're so that we have in this country, you tend to want to use those resources and, and you tend to have gratitude towards what's available. Um, but what's interesting is I go from time to time, I always try to take every other year to go back to the Philippines and, and meet the people that I grew up with and that sort of thing. And it's so interesting because you'll live here for a long period of time. You'll meet all, you'll, you'll have weird anxieties and weird stresses that are very common here. And then you'll go back to the Philippines and you'll find people with nothing. They're the happiest people you'll ever meet. So grateful for every little thing. And you go to their homes and they live in a tin shed and, and I get confused. I'm like, why are you so happy? You know? And, and, and it, it recalibrates me to realize that we should always be, we should be grateful for what we have. We should take the opportunities that we have and build something great. Um, and it's hard to have that level of perspective without seeing something different, uh, without see, coming from a different area. It's easier. I mean, it's easy for us to talk about it, but until you've actually experienced it, it's a different level. Do you used to go back and visit? I do. I was there uh, about two and a half years ago. I need to go. I'm actually going to be going there again in September of this year. Oh, nice. Year. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. It's crazy in, in a different perspective, right? With, I mean, I guess you spent almost or a little more than half your childhood there right before immigrating. Yeah. So I actually moved when I was like 11 years old. So um, just a little bit of my childhood over there. When you, when you moved here and as you're getting into real estate, was there anything in particular, you know, books or people you met or mentors or anything that kind of helped you kind of adapt to a new way of life and, and a different way of thinking in America? Yeah. So what's interesting is that when I did live here, when I was in, a, in my teens, I did have both parents. My dad was the breadwinner of the family. I feel like I had a little bit of the entitled mentality and I never really grinded as much as I needed to. I feel like everyone feels like they're grinding very hard to the best of their capability. But what's interesting is that when my dad left, when they divorced, that specific moment of knowing that we, at, at the end of every single month, we were trying to figure out how we can collect our money just to pay for rent. That pain element and going through that and having that fear of knowing that we're going to get kicked out of our home, knowing that my sister's not going to have a place to live, uh, that is really what shifted. A, it just flipped a switch in my head and made me realize I have to do whatever it takes to survive. And that was really one of the hardest times of my life. And going through that is really what built my grit, what built my thick skin, uh, my ability to be denied when I, when I was door knocking and that sort of thing. 
all of these weird things that I that most people are concerned about, I didn't really care because I needed to put food on the table. I needed to collect money to pay for the bills. And that experience alone is really what built me, built me to be who I am today. Uh, going through those pains and going through all those depressions, there was different books that got me through different times. But during that time, I think Tony Robbins was a big influence for me because I was very, that got me through really understanding these pains and, and finding motivation to be able to get ahead. And then there were other books that helped me become more effective, like 80-20 rule and that sort of thing. And even today, I'm still, there's always new books that I can learn from. Yeah, for sure. So where where does Franco go from here? Are you targeting net worth? Is it a number of families that you want to help or how do you kind of measure success? Yeah, I think one thing I, I love to say is uh, I actually try to tell people is that sometimes the whole money element isn't something that some of us feel the energy to chase. And I think fulfillment is the most underrated competition compensation. And with that being said, it's like, man, knowing that I help one family that really needed a home be able to be more financially secure and knowing that somebody's going to be able to help be that a family of need is going to have a better home. That alone is so much of a fulfillment. And now for me is like really scaling that out. We have our agents doing the same thing. We're training more agents to do more. And then really just showcasing for people to understand that mobile homes shouldn't be something that should be ignored. It should be seen as a financial tool for a lot of these families. But now it's really just advocating uh, the beauty of mobile homes, showcasing how much of a difference it can make, how, how can we help the teachers, the construction workers get more into home ownership. That's really kind of my big mission and big why lately. Outside of growing the business, do you, do, do you see yourself continuing to invest in single family homes from an investment perspective? Yes, I'd say so. Um, it's always, you know, that is something that's in my radius and on my radar and something that I understand. I feel like I like to invest in things that I understand versus the stock market. I don't really understand that much. And I feel like there's too many influences that can happen in there. Uh, so with real estate, at least I get a Infer- I like I get to make the decisions that I want to make, and I can influence different decisions and make an impact on what I want to make an impact on. Yeah, for sure. Some of those those first deals, did you find them on the MLS because you were a realtor, or or did you go through ever other methodologies to to find some of those first rentals? The the rental portfolio, the properties that I've been uh, getting, the those are through. Um, agents and referrals. Yeah, I, I've just been very getting a lot of attention on where job migration is going. And I feel like the North Carolina market is something that hasn't really popped off just yet. So I've made a decision to move a lot of stuff that way. Nice, nice. Well, let's uh, wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of shoes that you've purchased? <laughs> I, what's interesting is I've never bought shoes more than 50 bucks. (laughs) So a a lot of the stuff I wear is from Amazon. I'm a very unmaterialistic guy and, uh, but I get gifted a ton of shoes every once in a while. Okay. What about the, uh, most expensive meal out that you've paid for? 
recently, I went to this two Michelin rated restaurant in Las Vegas. It was called, it was right on the water of Bellagio. Uh, I took my operations manager there. That meal must have been about 700 bucks for two. Uh, I'm a big foodie. So we do a lot of food vlogs and stuff like that. Nice. Nice. What about the uh, most expensive car? Right now I drive a Model X. Uh, It's pink, actually. Oh, wow. car that I have. And then um, we have a Model 3 as well as well and our team has cars as well but but that's what we're driving currently okay and i'm assuming brand new is probably six figures yeah yeah okay what about the most expensive experience or vacation that you've been on ah i'd say yacht week over in croatia that was a fun experience it's coming Um, up again here i think what july yeah have you been I have not, but I, I've got a friend going. <laughs> I'm yeah. too old for that, man. <laughs> I'm married and got three kids. <laughs> oh, there you go. I'm single and no kids, so uh, that worked out. There you out. go. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be found at Yacht Week for sure. <laughs> so that was a really fun thing that we did. I, I went with some friends, and it was just such an amazing experience. And I think that's really what, you know, having financial freedom, people should have equal opportunity to being able to do things like that. It's, it's amazing. Okay. What was a key lesson that you learned from childhood? I think being resourceful is probably the biggest lesson that I like to tell people is that we have really, you know, you don't need a college degree. You don't need, you don't need all the right books or you don't need money right away. All the information and knowledge can really be learned. Everything that I use to learn what I built my business off of was all through YouTube, through Google, through books, right? And and it's the, the switch in your mind that I can build this. I can figure this out myself. I can solve problems myself. Once you learn to have that switch of resourcefulness, the world is your oyster. You can really do anything. Okay. What's a closely held belief that you recently changed your mind on? Hmm. That's a tough one. Uh, closely held belief. I think feeling that I have to do everything myself. Uh, I think it took me a long time to realize we cannot scale by me doing everything and everything. I have to let go of certain things. There are things, there are decisions that I'm not always making. I have to allow my team members to make big decisions for me. And I think that's one of the biggest decisions I had to, and beliefs I had to get past. Okay. What's the uh, craziest thing that you've ever done to earn some money? Ah, I remember one time when I was doing real estate, I had to close a deal and this, these, this guy was flying off and it was a commission I really needed. And I, there was almost no way to make this work unless I booked a flight to meet this guy at this connecting flight to sign these documents. And I always remember that moment. I just, out of desperation, I needed these docs signed and I met him at an airport in another city just to close this deal. Awesome. What is the uh, most fun that you've had with money? Most fun? Uh, I think, I'd say, I love traveling with my friends. Um, There was this one specific trip I did in Nicaragua uh, where our friends were doing like some charity stuff with optometry and eye things. Mm -hmm. And we just had a blast out there. And I love 
donating. And for some reason, that's a lot of fun for me. But I remember in Nicaragua, we had a lot of great experiences, sunsets on the water, that sort of thing. And, and that's my type of fun. What's still on the bucket list that you're looking forward to? Huh, that's a great question. I, I think I'm a, I'm a little bit of an adrenaline junkie, so I want to go bungee jumping. Sounds uh, like you need to head to New Zealand, my friend. <laughs> Is that where that's at? Well, they got some of the best bungee jumping in Ventsu, but it's got some of the best bungee jumping in the world there in uh, Queenstown, New Zealand. No way. Yep. That's awesome. I got to go a, there. It's, a, it's, a, it's the place for adrenaline junkies. I went there and I did everything but the bungee jumping. So granted, <laughs> they've got a couple things that have closed down since COVID and whatnot. But yeah, we we went there, what is that? I guess eight months ago now or nine months ago. But yeah, you should go check that out. If you want to go bungee jumping, go go bungee jumping in Queenstown, New Zealand. Okay. I'm going to do that now. That'll, that'll, that'll get your adrenaline going. <laughs> <laughs> Luck, skill, or hard work? How would you rank them? I'd say most people would say hard work first, but I think... Actually, I can't. I can't. I got to say hard work, skills, and then those two will get you luck. I don't really... I'm not a big believer in luck. I think uh, having the hard work, learning the skills uh, are the two most important things. Okay. What's your final piece of advice that you would give to somebody who's just starting out on their journey? Don't be afraid of of working hard. I think there's a lot of weird fears when it comes to starting a business or when it comes to chasing something. Take more risks and just get past these fears. Build an MVP, a prototype, and don't be afraid to try to build things that will fail. I think so many people are afraid of failing so much that they don't want to try anything. And I think that's one of the biggest things that's holding back a lot of these smart people that can really make a difference and just face those fears and start. Awesome. Franco, where can people find you, get in touch with you, see what you're up to? All of our links are at www.franco.tv. You can see the homes we're building. You can also see our food vlog. Uh, You can see a lot of our links there. Awesome. That's Franco net worth of four plus million dollars. Thanks for coming on the show today. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.